0: Chandanao and I agreed between us that he doesn't really need to introduce me because I've only just just two weeks ago I was leading this class so you all know who I am already so um I don't really know what to say after that film because uh it's kind of the film said what I would have said if I was going to give a talk on that time more or less um I did think about it this afternoon wondering what I would say but now that I've seen the film I think perhaps um, you probably got a pretty good idea of what was going on at the time from the film so I don't perhaps need to say very much about what the film's already said the, You know, the objective circumstances with the building of the London Buddhist Centre and all that kind of thing. I don't think I really need to say that. So maybe I'll just be a bit more personal and uh, talk about what it was like for me. I was thinking just over the weekend, not quite knowing what I was going to say, I was thinking, I wonder how objective I can be anyway. Um, I was a young, very young guy in those days, 20 years old. And... um, uh, I think when you're that old, probably at least this is in my case I was very impressionable and um, when I there's a bit of background to my involvement in that my family home broke up Um, my mum left my dad and my dad became alcoholic and the whole family just exploded and uh, I ended up moving to London Um, and even my move to London was a kind of panic move because I'd moved to a town and I was living with four other guys actually, it wasn't a Buddhist it was more like a Grateful Dead community (laughs) and uh, I had a job in a hospital as a porter and the uh, one of the guys insisted on playing music into the early hours of the morning and uh, I just had to get out of that house and I've something came up in London I could move to so I did so I was um, rootless Um, family-less in a way and didn't know what I was going to do with my life, I had no idea didn't know what I was going to do and so um, there I was in London, I started working in music publishers and as I was saying, I was young and I would say now looking back wide open I was just wide open to experience and very impressionable so um in the, uh, sometime around that time uh, I, I also worked as a groundsman at Brunel University in Ixbridge and um, we had one of the students coming to work with us over the summer and he was into Carlos Casaneda that's the time it was people were into Carlos Casaneda some of you haven't heard of him no doubt but if you if you're around 30 years ago you will have heard of Carlos Casaneda and uh, it was a kind of Mexican mystical thing and he was into him and uh, I was impressed because I was impressionable so when I moved up to London I decided I wanted to learn how to meditate so I went along to a few different places and in those days there was a book by Nick Sanders called Alternative London and if You remember? (laughs) Look at the colour of our hair. Um, In those days, if you were part of the alternative, you had that book if you lived in London. And anything you wanted was in that book. And so there was a whole section of uh, mystical and religious, spiritual groups, not religious. We didn't have religious groups in the counterculture. We had spiritual groups and mystical groups. And uh, so I went along to the few of the places that were advertised there. And I kind of thought they were okay. But uh, when I went to the Punduika Centre, you saw a picture, some pictures of it there. The old piano. It wasn't a piano factory, actually. It was a piano warehouse. And uh, ex-piano warehouse. And I went along there. And I don't know why. I just felt immediately at home. Um famous, now, fa- well, I say famous. Famous within the Afrabio Order members teaching there at the time. Sabuti, Lokomitra, Mahoichi, Dhammadina, um, Hridaya, and uh, Sheila, And uh, I was impressed. I was impressed by the people teaching. Uh, where I'd been to before... Um, I remember going to a lecture on uh, TM, Transcendental Meditation, and uh, it, wasn't, it was a talk given by a couple of young women. And I just thought they seemed a bit fey and didn't really impress me. But I have to say that when I went along to the Pundarika Centre, the people there who were teaching seemed um, down to earth and earthy in a way. They didn't seem strange and weird. And... I felt, as I say, I felt at home. Probably they were dressed and had hair similar to mine as well. That's probably a lot to do with it. You know, that's the kind of thing that you get in, uh, interested in, isn't it? People who seem to be in the, to the same kind of things as you. Um, but yeah, as I said in that film, there was one night when we were meditating, in the beginner's class, and God, it was so frightening. Just these bricks just came through the window. It was really scary, you know, because you really... You can imagine sitting here in a beginner's meditation class and mm-hmm. someone's leading it and suddenly smash! It really made you jump out of your skin. It was um, really quite frightening. But we, uh, the Punda Centre was in this area that was being redeveloped, great big redevelopment area. And uh, it was very, very run down and a lot of the houses were empty because the council were taking people out of the area so it could be redeveloped. And uh, in those days, uh, young people squatted. Do you know what I mean by squatting? What you did is you, there would be a house that is empty and you would claim squatter's rights. You would just move in and just by being there, you were allowed to be there. there it, it was legal just to be there. So uh, there were lots and lots of people squatting in that area. It was a real um, alternative scene. In fact, one of the houses was a bakery. Somebody had converted it into a bakery and they made bread wholemeal bread of course for all and sundry around the place and it was like really really cheap because they had no rent to pay on their premises so (laughs) there was all these people uh, living on benefits in these squats buying food from this bakery and it all worked really really well for this little enclave of people and uh, some of the squats were Buddhist communities belonging to the FWO and uh I went to, I'll tell you something. I went to a beginner's class and they advertised that they were running a jumble sale the following weekend. This is a Wednesday beginner's class. Jumble sale was Saturday. And I volunteered and went an, along. I suppose what that says is I didn't have very much else to do in those days. Um, on the negative side, on the positive side, it meant that I was into it. And uh, that's where I met Suita. You saw Suita on, uh, on the film. Um, he was one of the first people I met and he's still a, a good friend. Um, I have to say, actually, the film had quite a big effect on me. I've, I've never seen that before. And um, I did feel quite sad, actually. And I'm just trying to work out why. And I think it is the simple fact of impermanence. I mean, it's fun to see these people who we know are quite old now and mid- middle-aged, going on for old age. And um, there they were, young, idealistic, uh, counterculture people, subversive, uh, with long hair and scruffy clothes. In a way, it's quite fun, but in a way, actually, is isn't. I found it quite uh, sad. Uh, two of the people who in that film have died. Uh, Ajita, there was part of his funeral uh, there who was um, a real character from Glasgow from the tenements in Glasgow and the other one was uh, Punya who eventually went to live in America and he died just last year and some of those people are no longer involved with the the movement so it just felt um, I don't know, this is kind of poignancy as I watched it but anyway, back to the story um I was able to get involved very quickly because I had nothing else. I was working in the music publishers and it wasn't as if I was, it wasn't the top end of the music publishers, it was very much the bottom end of the music publishers. And I wasn't really interested in the job and I really had nothing to do with my life. So I suppose I was looking for something to really engage me. And you probably got the impression there, I hope you got the impression that it was really quite exciting There were these young, very dynamic people. There was a lot of energy. Um, There's a kind of very much kind of we-can-do-anything kind of energy. Mm -hmm. Sabuti there talking about this fire station saying they can do it in 15,000 pounds in six months. Then it took over two years and a quarter of a million pounds. That's the kind of thing. Mm -hmm. We were just into doing anything. So um, it was very easy for me to get involved. And... It must have been maybe a month after I was coming along to the beginner's classes. Sabuti took myself and suwa to her side and said, look, a house has come up on this street, the very street that the centre was on. Some uh, people had moved out and we could just move in and start a community. So we did. Uh, what became obvious once we moved in was that the reason Sabuti was very keen for us to move in there was because he was in number five with a men men's community. In number one was a women's community, Dharmadina, Nomar, a few others. And in between was a house full of drug addicts, which made life very, very difficult for the people round about them. So as soon as it became empty, he was very, very keen that it became a community. So I remember very clearly uh, clearing the house out. There was, um, it was very strange because um, there was one bedroom where there was just this pile of rubbish in the middle of the floor, and as we cleared the pile of rubbish away we realised that the person who lived there had painted the floor he painted all around the rubbish mm-hmm. so when we cleared the rubbish away, that part of the floor wasn't painted <laughs> it was a really strange kind of atmosphere and uh, I actually had to go to a doctor or a hospital, I can't remember now because as I was clearing things I, uh, a needle from one of the syringes went into my finger it was um, it was a strange, weird atmosphere. But anyway, we did clear it, and a number of people helped us. It was great. And uh, five of us lived there, it's three men, Suata, myself, and someone who later became Mari Chitta. We weren't Suwata and Rat then. We, had a, we were just beginners to the whole thing. And two women, Sue Fox. There was a Sue Fox involved in this centre, but this is another Sue Fox. And another woman whose name I can no longer remember, although I remember her very clearly. And we lived there. We didn't really know what we were doing in terms of community, but we lived there. And um, I left my job in the music publishers and I started working in what's called Community Cafe, which was across the heath. Had to walk across Hampstead Heath to get there. Swiss Cottage, there was this place called Community Cafe, which was a squat cafe and i started working there and uh, it was you know we i think we we paid ourselves three pound fifty a day and we made bread first thing in the morning someone had to get there at six and make whole meal meal bread for the day and then the others get there and we started making soups and stuff like that and it was just full of people from the alternative culture you know just wanting some way to earn a living but it was also part of the scene you know hippie type people went along and that was it Um, and I ended up running that cafe after a little while because the two owners or the not owners they didn't own it the people running it left do you know we never paid a single bill we were there for years and not only did we never pay any rent but we never paid gas I mean the gas was going on all day we never got a single bill from the gas company or the electric company so the meals and everything was really really cheap it was amazing no. Well, it might be. I, it might be. I don't know. How was it? Did you have gas? I don't know how all that works. But when, when usually when you when you squat, you do exactly the same as you do in a rented house. You just get hold of the local gas company. Well, in those days, it was probably there was a ga- one gas company in England in those days and one electric company, and you just contacted them and they. They turned you on. You know, there you are. You, so, but for some reason, we never got any gas bills or electric bills. I don't know why. Maybe it could be that somebody subverted the gas from somewhere else. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't know. But I, it was a really, really cheap way to run a cafe. And um, what I'd like to get across somehow was the atmosphere. And it, it's not possible, really, to get across the atmosphere there was a definite atmosphere Um, it was it was the alternative scene it was post hippie we weren't hippies because that had happened two or three years previously but it was very much influenced by that time Uh, it was a few years before the punk thing came out it was between those times but there was definitely a feeding of uh, idealism and adventure and there was a kind of subversive element to the whole thing we were definitely not interested in um, what we c- in those called the straight society would. we were definitely not interested in that so that gave me um, confidence actually another thing I was doing at the, uh, the centre there was uh, I very quickly became the shrine keeper and I took on the running of the bookshop And uh, it was only a tiny bookshop because there weren't many books on Buddhism in those days. There weren't many to be had. And I remember what I did to buy new books. I went down to the Buddhist Society in um, Victoria. Used to get the 28 bus. Used to walk across the heath, get on the 28 bus down to Victoria, go to the Buddhist Society and buy some books from them. And uh, Christmas Humphreys. Do you know, have uh, you heard of Christmas Humphreys? He was one of the early British Buddhists. He was still running the place and I did meet him once. I met Christmas Humphreys, Toby they called him. So it's a very, very different era. But um, running that cafe gave me confidence. Um, and so there was something else going on. We were, we were at the Punduika Centre and when I first came along there was a lot of negotiations going on for the, the old fire station and eventually the fire station was bought and people started working on it. And because uh, I I'm becoming more confident in my ability to run a business, run a cafe, um, Sabuti asked me if I would consider setting up a whole food shop because they were running out of money and they needed some businesses to get money going. So I did. I didn't actually start a shop, but what I did, he gave me £200 and i bought a van and it was an old blue diesel van and it unfortunately didn't have a roof somebody had cut the roof off so i had to get someone to make a new roof and it was a diesel van and it the the smoke coming out of that exhaust was very very bad actually it was it was really a very old thing but anyway that's what i used and uh what I did was I used to go to... There were, there were two or three places you could go to buy whole food supplies. There was this thing called Community Supplies in North London, which supplied all the hippie communities in the north of London and all the alternative shops. So you used to go along there and you used, to, you used to go and collect... There were all these sacks of rice and muesli everywhere. You just used to go and pick them up and put them on a trolley and just do it all yourself and then pay someone. It was all very... You just do it all yourself. So I used to do that and I used to go to another place in South London, south of the river called Harmony Foods, which is now changed its name to um, Real Foods. Two American brothers ran that. And another one, a new one called Sunwheel. So I used to do that and um, got a market stall on Brick Lane. So every Sunday morning, me and Suita used to go and put all our food out and um, sell and the store next to us it was always the same it was somebody selling Shadows records The Shadows and he played The Shadows for the whole three and a half hours we were there The Shadows music for three and a half hours every Sunday morning (laughs) that's how idealistic we were we were prepared to do that (laughs) and uh, so really early on every Sunday morning we used to go there load the van up take the van there unload the van move the van come back and spend three and a half hours standing there in all weathers listening to the shadows to make money for Sukavati and then I got another stall in Hampstead which was quite nice Uh, and they they always played horrible music wherever I went to and the other one was uh, a squat market in Swiss Cottage next to the community cafe and it didn't cost us anything at all to have it and there were no rules so usually on markets all the food has to be bagged up so you have to bag it, spend all week bagging the food up but on this one there was nobody looking at us so we just used to go and we just had this table trestle table and we just had everything in sacks and, a, and an old, one of those old fashioned scales it was great and people loved it and we had queues of people because we were so cheap we were just putting beans and rice and muesli into these things it was just great we had a we had dustbins full of muesli and we would just take this muesli out and put it. it was just so exciting it was great so i did that for a few years and uh the friend's food shop that happened eventually in bethel green came about because of that and that just closed last year so that went on for a number of years that business so all that was happening um Maybe a bit more uh, personally, I'll say, uh, just to follow in my story, which was, uh, though I had nothing to do, came across the FWO. It was exciting. We really thought that we were changing the world or we were going to change the world. That was definitely part of the whole atmosphere. That was part of what motivated everyone. We weren't just running a little Buddhist centre to teach people to meditate, we were actually going to change the world. And we were... There was such confidence, actually. It was really... We were very, very confident. And I suppose it's not a new thing, isn't it, when you're young and you get together and you form a movement. There must have been... There must have been hundreds and thousands of movements of people thinking they were going to change the world. And we were another one. And... Uh, so there I was. I got involved with this thing. And... I also became a Mitra and I became a Mitra and I had two Kalyana Mitras, which didn't work out actually. Uh, That was a really unfortunate thing. Um, We didn't really know what we were doing uh, spiritually in those days. We had, even the people who were teaching us had very, very little experience of the spiritual life. So although there was a lot of enthusiasm and commitment, there wasn't really very much wisdom, to be honest. And so I chose two Kalyanamitras. I chose badly. They both fell in love with me, unfortunately, which made life very, very difficult for me. Very difficult indeed. Um, but that's a story we needn't go into in too great a depth. <laughs> um, but uh, one of them, it was uh, Padma Raja. You saw him on there a few times. Um, he told me, he said, have you ever asked... For ever thought of asking for ordination this is like just like a few months into my involvement in things and i said no and uh the reason i hadn't thought of asking for ordination is because i really didn't think i was anywhere near close to getting ordained um and i said that to him i think and uh he said well i was talking to bante sangra and he said that if you ask for ordination he would ordain you which is a big surprise. So looking back at that time, I think um, that probably wasn't a very good thing to tell me, I think. Um, maybe it was. I'm not quite sure. Because usually the, th- the initiative comes from the person rather than being told. Now, I was impressionable. So as soon as you t- somebody tells me, you could do this, that's what I wanted to do, wasn't it? So it, wasn't, it was not too long after that that I asked for ordination. Um, during that time there were uh, I think Sona last week talked about youth didn't he young people and there were a lot of young people around and um, there were four of us young guys who were involved with the Punduika Centre there was Suita who you've seen and Padma Vajra from Brighton who you saw on that film very very enthusiastic and there was uh, Ratna Jyoti and we, there were four of us and Harsha Prava five of us fairly close actually and we all got ordained one after another I got ordained with Padma Vajra first time I ever came across Padma Vajra I was on a weekend retreat and I couldn't bear him I really couldn't bear him he was really really talkative he talked far too much in my opinion and he was very very sure of himself if you ever know Padma Vajra you'll know he's very sure of himself and he was just like that in those days, 20 years old. And he was like, pfft. no, he's 18, I think. And he seemed to know absolutely everything there was to know about Buddhism. He knew all about it. So he could have these conversations with Banti about tantric Buddhism. And I thought, what are they talking about? I had no idea. But uh, um, he moved in to the community next to where I was living. And, see, we were just young and we just got to know each other and I would say that bonds were formed in those days which for me are still very much alive um, I still love Papavadja and Surata actually um, just really love those guys I don't have so much to do with Harsha Prabha and uh, uh, Ratna Jyoti but m- Papavadja and Surata were very very important to me I, was, um, I would say I was a lost young man and I needed finding and probably the FWO found me in a way and more specifically you saw those guys there was Sabuti and Lokomitra and some of the other more senior guys I say more senior they've been ordained a year beforehand but it felt like you know when you're, when you're five and your brother's six it seems like he's like it was a bit like that they were way up there um, so we formed this very strong bond which is still there. I will tell you a funny story. Um, it's kind of funny and tragic story at the same time because it involves my dad. I'll tell you the tragic story first. Savuti was talking about, and I talked about in that film, about some of the people at, Sukha, at, at the old fire station, how we took anyone on, which is a big mistake, actually. And uh, I'd, I'd moved to this squat community next to Punda Rica, and with these other guys, Suiter. And one day, um, I'd said that my my mum left my dad. My dad became alcoholic. Over about a year or two, while I'd moved to London and got involved with the FWO, my dad had really gone downhill very, very fast. And uh, he became so alcoholic, he lost his job. And then, of course, he lost his home because he couldn't keep it up and he lost his car and he lost absolutely everything actually including his mind he lost his mind because he drank so much that he, his mind was addled somehow he found me i still don't know how he found me but he did he just knocked on the door one day and there was my dad and he was in a, in a complete and utter state so we had to take him in didn't know what i was going to do with him but he his trade was he was electrician and i need, knew they needed an electrician at the old fire station so i went to zabuti and said my dad's an electrician and he said he'd take him on so my dad went to live at the old fire station and um he stayed there for about a year and a half two years in the end uh it, it it was kind of tragic because he, his mind was really gone. He couldn't really focus and concentrate anymore. And uh, he was on the dole. He had to sign on when he was there. And every Thursday morning he got his cheque through. And every Thursday morning he'd disappear. No one would see him for the rest of the day. He'd get home late that night absolutely out of his mind. And then all the money would be gone. So the next five days he'd be able to work. And then come Thursday same thing happened, that happened for two years or a year and a half, something like that anyway um, the house was still empty in Uxbridge and I knew it was full of furniture and we needed furniture for our squat community so we borrowed a van um, it was the FWO van actually, we borrowed the FWO van and uh, we went down to Uxbridge, just to a night, to load the van up with furniture for our squat so it was a Saturday night and we were We'd opened up the garage and we were taking stuff into the furniture. Suddenly the police arrived and they were going to arrest us and um, they thought we were just stealing stuff. So I said, no, no, this is my family home. Can you prove that? Oh, uh, that's going to be a bit difficult. So I said, yeah, the uh, next-door neighbours, they'll recognise me. So we knocked up the next-door neighbours and they said, uh, no, we've never seen him before in our lives. (laughs) That was a bit scary, actually, because... um, what can you do it was like how can we prove to these people but um, my dad had not moved up to London by then so I, was, I had a pretty good idea where he would be the Windsor Castle so we took the police down to the Windsor Castle and there he was there was my dad and he recognized me and so we were okay so that was a funny little story but uh, what was I going to say now yeah you just got both there you both got the the, uh so anyway um, I'd set up friends foods what else was I going to tell you about oh yeah ordination Um, so I asked for ordination because Bansi had said if I asked he'd ordain me so I did Um, in a way that was quite unfortunate because uh, it all happened very quickly and I got ordained with Padma Vajra so he's my Dharma brother and um, I remember the night it was a full moon and we had our private ordination just the two of us and then there was silence until next morning when there was going to be the public ordinations (laughs) and we went off for what was supposed to be a silent walk in in the woods in the full moon midsummer and um, supposed to be silent but he was so pleased with his name Pavlovadhyaya he couldn't he just had to tell me had to tell me his name (laughs) he was so pleased with it and um, you know why am I telling you this oh yeah that's right I remember going to bed later and then the next day and feeling no <coughs> I just felt fraudulent I just felt I haven't really committed myself to the three jewels actually it's all been too quick and too easy And I just thought, I just didn't, I didn't really, I wasn't convinced. I didn't really think I'd done it. Hindsight has told me uh, I had done it, but it was quite strange because it really felt like, no, 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 it's all going to come out in the wash, actually. I'm not really up for this kind of life. But actually, that was quite interesting because I I really was very much up for it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started Friends Foods, I went to live at Sukavati, which was absolutely awful actually living in a squat in Punda Rica on Balmore Street was great it was a kind of hippie thing but living in that place at Sukavati was really awful and uh, so let me see around that time there we were working I ran f- Friends Foods from the uh, the old fire station and uh, I'll just finish off with this lecture series that was mentioned in the film, *The Sutra of Golden Light*, which Bante called "Transformation of Self and World," which was held at uh, Hampstead ha- uh, Town Hall. Actually, once once a week for eight weeks. So we used to troop up from uh, from Bethlehem Green, ride right up to Hampstead every can't remember which day and night of the week it was. We used to come up in the summer, and we would listen to these lectures and we were all dog tired actually we'd be sort of falling asleep through them but there they were and there was a kind of mythic element to it actually it was more than just Sangha talking about Buddhism there was he'd somehow captured the time the atmosphere the uh, zeitgeist of the time he'd captured it and he'd put it through into buddhism he sort of put those two things together nowadays i suppose if you listen to it you may not catch that but it was very much wow kind of thing how has he done that and one of the exciting things about it was we felt well i felt that we were in some way partly responsible for those lectures because they came out of his observation of us trying to change the world by working on this old building and setting up companies and cooperatives and living together. So we were really trying to live the spiritual life in a really 24-hour way kind of thing, not just the weekend thing or one evening a week. We were trying to do it with every part of our lives. And he was observing and teaching based on his observation of what we were doing. So some of the seminars were very exciting because he would talk about things which were really happening for us We were falling out with each other we were running out of money all sorts of things were happening and he was teaching in response to that and it felt to me like those lectures were partly his response to what we were doing it was very very exciting and uh, I was just looking at the list of lectures on them actually I mean the, the title transformation of self and world this is new I mean this was new in Buddhism nowadays Buddhism, about 30 Buddhist groups in Manchester, I think. In London, there were three or four. It was very, there was hardly anything going on. There was a Buddhist society, there was a Burmese place, and there was a Friends of Western Buddhist order. Probably that was it. So it really felt like we were doing something important and exciting. And so the list of lectures, one of them I noticed was uh, Buddhist economics, based on uh, Schumacher's work and another one was Bud- uh, buddhism and culture and throughout the whole lecture series he was weaving in themes which were really really important to us it was it felt really good actually very very good so we did those lectures we went to those lectures and they affected us you know in turn so we were very inspired and we changed the way we did things in the end i just had to get the hell out of there Uh, I just moved to Manchester first opportunity I had I just got out of there and moved to Manchester and that was a whole other story Uh, what I've discovered it doesn't work very well if you escape from somewhere very quickly into something else you usually end up in a position which is as bad if not worse than the one you just escaped from so I've learnt that over the years so I think that'll do because we said we'd have questions didn't we so Mm. shall we Stop and see if you've got any questions. When did you move up here? I think it was nineteen seventy nine. I think it was seventy nine. Yeah. Was that to set something up or was it at the request of somebody else? Uh three order members th- two order members in a had moved up here from London six months previously, Sagamati. Lalit of Fajra and Ratna Jyoti Ratna Jyoti, yeah they'd moved up and um, they wanted me to move up partly because I'd set up friends foods and they thought I could set up friends foods here as well, which I tried to do but didn't succeed yeah yeah I'd say I, I did bring with me a sense of idealism but it was very very hard because um we we literally had nothing. We we rented a very old, not very nice house in Longsight. We lived there. I think mm, Ratna had a job, and maybe Lansava Fajra did too, but Sagamati didn't and I didn't. So I was gonna set up this and basically we didn't have any money. Um, but we were very idealistic. We we got these posters um printed and we used to go out and um put them on walls, you know with um, glue uh, wallpaper. wallpaper glue which was illegal and you know this story uh, I was arrested once I was out on my own wallpaper glue posters, putting them up and a uh, plain police policeman came out, excuse me sir and he took me off to a police station and arrested me the reason he arrested me because there was a gang uh, you know all these massive big posters you see around the place, um, pop posters rock posters that's all illegal but there's a gang there's always a gang at least one gang of guys who goes around putting them up and they get paid from from the venues to do that but it's illegal so the police every now and then just clamp down and anyway somebody complained about this gang who i didn't know they were just around the corner and i somehow got involved with this wrongly so i was putting this back of this truck and there's this gang there And I was just taken (laughs) along with them. (laughs) So, yes. (laughs) So, there was a lot of idealism. And um, basically, in those days, I would have done anything to get people into Buddhism. I would have done anything. And I did. I did do loads and loads of things, which I probably wouldn't do now, but I I would have done anything, because it just, like that was the whole point of living was to get people into the Dharma you know so I just did that I didn't mind going around and putting posters up on walls and some of the other things we got up to so there was a lot of idealism but it was it was really really tough the first 10 years in Manchester actually because there's nothing going on we were like ready and nobody came to classes (laughs) we were just stuck in this little house falling out with each other it was horrible really horrible I see Sivadja was up here a couple of weeks ago and uh, we had there was about 25 order members here and he he came up to me and he said just look at this look at all these order members here do you remember 20 years ago we used to sit in the the Chicago diner in um, in Withington and I would be like despairing It's like what's the point you know what are we doing this for but it's, I mean, look what we've got now—it's just great. So yeah, loads and loads of idealism, stacks of it. It just didn't seem it did never seem to run out. Well, it did occasionally when I got really despairing. But yeah, Nine Elcliffe Grove—it's just off Dickinson Road, near the park, quite near the park. The house is still there, although it's got a new front now it's been done up new Mrs Salt was our landlord <coughs> can I take you back to those days in London right? London yeah, back, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so something that came out in the film uh, was sort of uh, the single sex tension thing. Mm. so you know Bento was encouraging single sex communities and I mean as I remember that counterculture that idea must have been so anathema yeah it was really uncool yeah yeah can you say anything about that well it was so uncool it was cool if you know what i mean it was (laughs) so sort of like it was radical even for hippies it was it felt our take on it was we were going further yeah we weren't we weren't stepping back in time we were actually going further that was our take on it and uh A lot of women did get very upset, as you saw in that film. More upset than they showed. Apart from Marlene, showed quite a lot of upset. And there was a lot of upset, actually. I didn't particularly get involved in it. I was young, good-looking. The women liked me. And I was was very not outspoken. And the men did as well. The men really liked me, yeah. Um, (laughs) But because I was very impressionable, I wasn't really making... I wasn't really... One of the bad guys from the wind's point of view, if you know what I mean. So I didn't really get involved in, but I know that some of the women were very, very upset by it. Hmm. Can, can I just ask about that? Because I was around; it was my my era as well. Yeah. Um, um, just around um, the diversity of people um, linked into the Buddhist um, movement then. You yeah, because I was involved, and I was involved in women's movements. Yeah. Where yeah the The, the people coming to our centre weren't part of that culture really Uh, it was really quite in a way although I've talked about it as being subversive and counterculture it wasn't politically so if you know what I mean it was more idealistic from very much influenced by the hippie thing really so we didn't we didn't really have that kind of culture probably we'd have heard of it but nobody really had much experience of that so there, wa- there wasn't any woman in the, in the order or involved who said look let's do this there wasn't really anyone doing that so it was it really did feel unfortunate actually and um, what really wasn't brought out in the film but I think we have to say was the fact that um, everyone had fundraised for that building Everyone, women involved me included, and the whole thing was we were all going to go there, and then suddenly somebody made a decision that no, the women aren't going to go there. So that was really unfortunate the way that happened. I would say um, not very good. Um, but as I say, I, I wasn't—I was just a young beginner, so I wasn't really involved in that kind of decision-making process. Um, but there was a lot of unhappiness and. Uh, resentment I would say and bitterness yeah there was also another thing which was um, uh, there was quite a lot of you have to remember we were young and there was a lot of uh, I suppose it would be called arrogance there's quite a lot of arrogance involved in it all and I think what happened I think that should have been Dealt with very, very sensitively. And probably it wasn't, you know, probably it wasn't dealt with sensitively. It was probably dealt with a little bit triumphally, you know, it's just like, no, this is what's going to happen because this is the way it's going to be. And probably it was a bit like that. Although I can't say for sure because I wasn't really involved in all the discussions that were happening. Early on. Like was early on. well I thought it was a mistake to ordain me but now I would say it wasn't I think Banti must have seen something in me which I was not confident enough to see myself some people who got ordained young in those days left later but then uh some people are around for 10 years and they get ordained and then they leave later it, it's hard to say it's very easy in retrospect to say we shouldn't have ordained that person but at the time it's quite difficult to know I wasn't the youngest person by any means to be ordained I was ordained with Vajra and I think he was 18 he was the youngest person ever to get ordained at that point a few years later I was on an ordination retreat in Italy and uh, Yashadeva got ordained at 17 um funny enough at the time he'd just been refused to be a mitcher at the Brighton Centre that he came from because he hadn't been around long enough and a week later he got ordained it was very um, and he's still an order member you know, he's middle aged now and he's still very much into things so it's hard to say sometimes young people get them ordained and that's fine and were all those ordinations still directly by bante? everything was by bante, yeah I have said anything about Bante but he was a very strange character to have around not that he was around very much when I was around but he was in the background all the time lived in this little cottage in Norfolk I went up to see him Lokomita took me up to see him over a weekend and uh uh yeah he's a strange man Bante I would say um in those days, he kind of an aura of his strangeness was okay because he, he had this long hair and he was very hippie fied in a way. And, but some of the things he said were kind of outrageous. Um, and that was so exciting to have a kind of what I considered an old man, but he was only 40, 40-something. 40 but he seemed like, you know, I was 20, he seemed like a man from my dad's generation. But he was saying the really quite outrageous things society and life and men and women and uh, it was just really exciting you know to have him around and when he gave talks it just felt like I don't know we were listening to really important stuff you know and we really needed to take this on board and it was, it was really good actually very good he was a strange enigmatic strange in the sense of enigmatic figure um but so eloquent and uh, articulate. It was, yeah. I'd never met anyone like that before in my life. Still haven't, I suppose. Ooh, nice have oh, definitely wouldn't have progressed. It was, you know, I say it was a cooperative thing. I, don't, I, th- I think he had a lot to do with it, actually. Because of his radi- the radical nature of his vision of what we could achieve. If he hadn't had that, we would never have tried to achieve it. But he knew that if we just... Hey, why don't we just live together you know wow phew put his living together that's a completely new idea why don't we set up businesses you know so we can work together as well That, that, that all came from him so although he wasn't actually rolling his sleeves up and doing it that all came from us the inspiration and the ideas very much not all the ideas some of the ideas came from us as well but it was very much a two way process so and he would teach in that kind of way you know he knew his buddhism he really knew his buddhism but he was able to adapt it to our particular situations and so it was all really really exciting so i'd, I'd say it's very much cooperative yeah yeah it was good it was good yeah